for it, isn't it? Good to be able to do that. Of course, with places where they can't, right? Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for our gathering together. We thank you for being able to worship you. We thank you for those who have the talents to write music and then those who have the special talent of singing. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would guide us now as we look into your word for direction, for encouragement, for instruction, and pray that you would put it into our hearts to make us uh, different and better people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at some startling words in the scriptures as we move on in our series of a Christmas no one expected, because we see all kinds of unexpected things in our Christmas story. But there's a related theme in our passage this morning that is strong in the passage, and I'd like to introduce that theme through a more contemporary story. Um, it happened a while back, and our three grandsons were over, and they ran out in the yard to play on our playground set. And one of the boys shot up the back of the, the playground set on these little steps, climbed into the fort, climbed up to the, the tube slide, and shot down the tube slide. What he didn't know was that because of the rain that night and the night before, there's a little puddle at the end of the tube slide that just kind of catches the rain there. So, you know, and you can't see it when you're in the slide because it has a couple of turns. So he slides through the turns, comes out to the end, and splash, wet shorts. To which he had the best response that I've ever heard for something like that. He immediately, he said, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> of course, he couldn't see it coming because it was... You couldn't see the end of the slide from if you're in, inside the slide. And it also impresses me when people come up with immediate good responses because it usually takes me two or three days to come up with an immediate good response. But can you remember times in your life when you didn't see that one coming? I mean, something turning out way different than you were expecting. And those kinds of times where you didn't see that one coming can be good times, good events, good happenings, or they can be things that aren't so pleasant, kind of like bad times, unexpected grief or sorrow. Well, this morning we're going to look at a, whoa, I didn't see that one coming, but this one is going to have both joy and sorrow in it. And the joy and the sorrow are both very important. They're very important in the story because it makes up the story. But also they're very important for us as followers of Christ, for ourselves, and then for others that we talk to about Christ. These didn't see that one coming joys and sorrows. Now, you know, we've been covering the birth of the Messiah from the Gospel of Luke for these last several Sundays. 
And now, to this morning, we're 40 days past the birth of Jesus. And there are things that the law requires, the law of Moses requires, at certain times after the birth of a child. Last week, we saw that on the eighth day, they had Jesus circumcised, which is very important in the Jewish culture. It brought them into the family of Abraham, the family of God, and brought them into the covenant of Abrahamic covenant. And at this circumcision, they gave him the name Jesus officially because the angel told them to name him that <clears throat> before his conception. So now in Luke chapter 2, we're going to see what Mary and Joseph do 40 days after Jesus' birth, what they're told to do and what they follow the Lord in doing. In verses 22 through 24, it says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, and that would be for the, the mother, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And that was for the child, of course, to be presented to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, they came also to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, <coughs> excuse me. One point that Luke is making here very strongly is that Joseph and Mary are following the law of the Lord, the law of Moses, as they begin raising this child for the Lord. And it mentions it three times in that, those few verses, according to the law of the Lord, according to the law of Moses, or whatever. Mary was going for the purification rites after giving birth, according to the law of Moses. They also were presenting their baby, their firstborn son, before the Lord. Any firstborn, anybody who opened the womb, in, in a sense, was supposed to be offered as a special, in special consecration to the Lord as the firstborn. And so Jesus fit that. And then it says, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord. Three times, according to the law of the Lord. So Luke is emphasizing here that Joseph and Mary are serious followers of God. They're going to follow what the scriptures tell them to do. And they revered the law of the Lord. It wasn't just, you know, uh, following just because it's said to. It's because they loved the Lord and wanted to obey him and they wanted to live by his ways. Now, we know the Bible teaches that there is no human being other than Jesus himself who is totally sinless. Because all have fallen short of sinless perfection. But Joseph and Mary were very serious about their faith. And I'm sure because of that seriousness, that was one major reason God chose them to be the earthly mother and father of his only begotten son. And I believe one lesson here for us is that if we revere the scriptures, then God can use us for very important things. Because the scriptures not only instruct us on how to live, so many people see the Bible as just telling you what you're not supposed to do. But the scriptures not only tell us what to do, 
they not only tell us what is wrong and how to live and, and discern right from wrong, but the scriptures also change our hearts because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. And so when we sit in front of the scriptures and we take the scriptures in in different ways, you know, then the Holy Spirit can apply that and make that part of our being, a part of who we are. <clears throat> and as we spend time in God's word, we allow God's word to live in us because the Holy Spirit is living in us and the word of God is alive. And we become more and more useful to God to be a part of his plan. So, <clears throat> you know, far from it being just this old book of old, <clears throat> excuse me, rules that try to keep us down and not let us do things. The Bible is a living document that comes into us and changes our lives if we have that good attitude. We can't read it with a bad attitude and expect much. But if we have that good attitude, and that's what Joseph and Mary had, they wanted to do everything according to the law of the Lord, and God chose them because that was their attitude. They're carefully adhering to the scriptures. They begin raising the Son of God, whom God placed into their care. But now as they move into the temple precincts, because they're going to offer the sacrifice, and they're going to do <clears throat> the things that we read. Here is where they experience this, whoa, I didn't see that one coming, events. So if you follow with me as I read verses 25 through 32, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's the Messiah, the one who would console Israel and get them out of their troubles. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He says, Now I can die. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. <clears throat> Simeon, another devout follower of God, a worshiper of God, he longed to see the Messiah who was promised to come and deliver the people of God. And apparently from this, we see that he continuously prayed for the coming of God's deliverer. He yearned to see him. And at some point in his life, as the scripture says, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah during his lifetime. And so at this time, when Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus to present him before the Lord, the Holy Spirit lets Simeon know that it was time to go to the temple. And talk about being excited. 
I mean, this was Simeon's desire of all desires. He earnestly longed and yearned for the Messiah to be able to see the Messiah. And so he goes into the temple courts. He sees Joseph and Mary with the baby. He takes this baby into his arms. Here, this precious baby of all babies of all times. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, Lord, just as you have said. And when he calls him sovereign, that means he is the one who has the top rule. The sovereign is the one who makes the decisions. He's the ruler who has all ultimate authority. And Simeon is saying to God, God, you have made this happen just like you said. Here is your servant. Here is your savior. Now you can dismiss your servant. <clears throat> and he's talking as if the words are as if he is a guard, a sentry guard on watch. And he's been keeping watch. I managed for a long, long time for years. He's an old man now. And his time for dying was drawing near. And you can only last so long, right? But now he says, okay, Lord, I can now die in peace. Your promise has come. Your Savior has come. My heart now can rest easy. <clears throat> My eyes have seen your salvation. The salvation you have prepared before all nations. See here it says... <clears throat> For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And my thinking is that he's probably into the court of the Gentiles. That's the outer courts of the temple precincts, the court of the Gentiles. And this is the only part of the temple precincts that Gentiles could go into, non-Jews could go into. And Simeon says, in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and then the glory of your people, Israel. Now, I just want to mention something about Simeon's comment about how now he can die in peace. Now you can dismiss your servant, Lord. Now, why could Simeon die in peace at this point? He says, now I can go to my rest. He saw the baby, but at the moment he saw the baby, nothing had changed, had it? Rome was still ruling over Israel. They completely dominated them. Israel did not have the freedom even to follow all of the law because Rome wouldn't allow some parts. Why was Simeon's heart now at peace, totally relieved? Why was he now going to leave his post, ready to check out, be taken to heaven, completely peaceful and fulfilled? Well, he had seen the birth of the promised one, hadn't he? He didn't know how the promised one was going to deliver his people. In fact, <clears throat> I would make a strong guess that he probably thought 
of the wrong way, like John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, hey, are you the one? You're not delivering your people. Go tell John that you've seen the lame walk, the deaf hear, and those that can't speak, speak. And Jesus was saying to John, I'm uh, fitting the scriptures that prophesied about the Messiah. Go tell him not to worry. It's all in, it's all in plan. It's all in the plan. So I'm thinking <clears throat> that Simeon, he saw the Messiah. He saw the promise of God. Everything was still the same from the moment he saw him to the moment he, he gave him back. But he was now at peace. Because he had seen God's promise that he had sent the long-awaited Messiah whom they had waited for. And he knew that God was going to work the rest of it out. So really, he was believing beyond what he could see. I mean, he saw the Messiah. That was a big, big part of it. But he didn't see how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen. Do we have that same kind of peace that Simeon had? And you might think, first of all, well, how can we have peace here? There is so much unrest. We look around and we see so much disruption and chaos. There are continual threats of violence in our nation. High levels of uncertainty. What's going to happen next? Major disagreements in our society as to which way our country should go. And as at least one person has said, if you ain't worried, you ain't paying attention. But think of Simeon. His people had not been freed yet. They were still under the thumb of a foreign power. Herod was a wicked, murderous, self-centered, dictator-type king. Yet, when Simeon saw this baby, this gift of God that he'd been waiting for and praying for, he had true peace. Lord, you could take me home now. Your salvation has come. And he didn't know how the deliverance would come. He didn't know exactly when it would happen. But at the sight of the Messiah... Peace came to his heart. And my thought is, we can have that same kind of peace, can't we? Because our Savior, even more than Simeon, because our Savior has already come. And we've already seen a big part of the plan. Simeon didn't see anything near what we saw. We know so much about God's plan. Because we have the New Testament. And we've seen what Jesus did. We saw that he died on the cross. We understand so much more of the plan than Simeon did. Yet we also know that between now and our full redemption, and here's the thing <clears throat> that can help us, it's joy and sorrow put together. We also know that at the time between now 
and Christ's return, we can expect hardship. We can expect some suffering. That's real clear in the New Testament, that the church is undergo, will undergo suffering. And, and we know that happens a lot, even now. We see different levels of trials and sufferings throughout the world upon Christians. And there are many places in the world today where our brothers and sisters in the Lord are on the front lines of the battle. And we're just kind of in the back here. And we don't know what the future holds for us. Yet in all of that, we can have the peace that Simeon had. Because our Savior has already come. And he's already, you know, made good the plan of dying for, on the cross for our sins and paying the price for our sins. And he said, I will build my church. And we've seen the church just spread across the world like you would never believe. You would never uh, predict that the church would do what it's done in these years. And we know that his return is absolutely certain because we've seen him come the first time. and We've seen him promise the church would be built. And we've seen all that happen. And so we have much less than Simeon had. And so we know also that his promise of a new heaven and a new earth is completely faithful. We can trust it completely. It's absolutely solid. So here's the deal. <clears throat> if we focus on the scriptures and we allow the scriptures to come in and influence our lives and fill our minds and if we stay in touch with God through prayer and commune with him, and if we love one another and encourage one another and tell others about Christ, then we can have that peace that Simeon had. If we just keep our minds in the world, then that peace is going to start shrinking. If we keep our minds in the scriptures and in prayer and in fellowship, and in helping others and the things that the Bible calls us to do, that builds up our faith and encourages us. Now, I think you can see what I mean when I say that an event was a, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. Joseph and Mary were bringing Jesus to the temple to do what the law said to do with a newborn son. And then here comes Simeon, out of nowhere, as far as Joseph and Mary are concerned. They take the baby from Joseph and Mary, and then he starts saying all these amazing things. But the amazement doesn't end here where we read. Let's keep going. Verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, about the child. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. <clears throat> now we have said before that Israel, for centuries, Israel was waiting for her deliverer one who would come and make them victorious, 
one who would come and free them from their enemies, one who would come and lift Israel up to be the top of the world and not be the, the uh, footstool of the world. But Simeon here is bringing in another aspect of the Messiah that is also in the Old Testament scriptures. But this aspect probably wasn't as celebrated as the passages in the Old Testament on victory over enemies. He is saying that this Savior, this Deliverer that God has sent, will not only be the cause of many rising in Israel, but he will also be the cause of many falling in Israel. We'll look back at that. He said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. <clears throat> now, how can that be? If he was coming to deliver them, to rescue them, how could he be the cause of their falling? We can understand the rising, but how can it be the cause of their falling? Well, it's because of God's salvation plan. You see, in God's salvation plan, we are required to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance for our sins. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And some have the mistaken idea that since God is love, which he is, he would just automatically take everyone to heaven no matter what. And we know the Bible doesn't say that, does it? It says that we must turn to him for the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins have to be cleansed in order for us to spend eternity with God. And when we do that, we become covered when we come to Christ for forgiveness and we turn to him and his death on the cross. When we do that, we become covered by his spilt blood and then our sins are forgiven. So salvation is free. It is by grace. It is his sacrifice on the cross that paid the price, but it isn't automatically applied to everyone. It has to come through humility, where we humble ourselves and admit our sins and turn to him to cleanse us from our sins. And those who do will rise on the last day. And those who refuse to humble themselves will fall. And then it also says, <clears throat> and to be a sign that, will, that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This means that Jesus will be the outward visible sign of God's offer of salvation to the lost. He will be the one that we can look at and say, this is salvation. Salvation will be contained in Jesus Christ himself because he's the one who will go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sins. And so how people respond to Jesus Christ will determine whether they receive God's salvation, his forgiveness. 
And the way they respond to Jesus will reveal the true thoughts of their hearts. Because some people can play a, <clears throat> a good outward game, but it's really how they take Jesus Christ, how they approach him. And that was especially true of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Because they put on the most elaborate show of outward holiness. The way they dressed, the way they talked, the way they talked down to people, the way they stopped in the corners and prayed in public with long prayers, the way they let everybody know how much money they gave. But their true heart feelings were revealed by the way they hated and opposed Jesus Christ. He was the outward sign of God's salvation. And it says to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the many of the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. <clears throat> the way we respond to Jesus Christ determines whether we fall or rise. How we feel toward him determines how we feel toward God. And when we talk to others, we need to let them know it's all Jesus Christ. It's if you come to him, is if we humble ourselves and we accept him and his death on the cross to pay for the sins that we ourselves can't take care of. And then Simeon, what we've already read there, says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You know, Mary is going to serve in one of the most highly honored roles that anyone could serve. She was chosen as the earthly mother of the very son of God who would take away the sins of the world. Yet, her role also entailed some intense pain and suffering. And that's just part of the package. It's clear in the New Testament. But we don't have to live our lives in fear. Even though that Christians are called to suffer, some way more than others, some in circumstances that are much harder than others, but we all do. We all go through trials. We all suffer in some way. But we don't have to live in fear because we can have the peace that Simeon had. We can live close to God and draw our comfort from him, remembering that we are heading toward a glorious, joy-filled eternity on the new earth. An eternity on a pristine earth with people redeemed by God fully, redeemed bodies, <clears throat> renewed earth and universe, living by truth, being kind to each other, loving each other, following Christ physically, getting to see him. It's going to be amazing. And anything you'd like to do now, it'll be much better on the new earth. So we have Joseph and Mary being obedient to the law of Moses, taking their newborn to the temple, presenting him to the Lord, 
offering the sacrifice, then being stopped by Simeon, he takes their child into his arms, and he says these amazing things about this little child, this little baby, six weeks old. I'm sure they didn't see that one coming, but there's even more they didn't see coming because somebody else approaches them, and it's a prophetess. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then, and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, that, you know, women got married young back then, so she could have been in her early 20s when her husband died. <clears throat> never got remarried. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What is this telling us? Well, it's telling us that this very devout widow who never remarried, she kind of stayed out of the normal things of life, even though she was only married for seven years, and it would have been fine for her to be remarried, but instead she devotes herself full time to fasting and praying. She's basically forsaken all else to the service and worship of God. So this is a very special and dedicated to God lady. She's a prophet, so she not only is an avid worshiper and one who has forsaken all others to serve God, but God speaks through her, and she gives God's direction through her. When she sees the Christ child, this infant being dedicated to the Lord, she knows who he is. She makes her way over to the baby, expressing her thankfulness to God. Then she begins prophesying about the child, and all who were waiting for the Messiah, for the redemption of Israel, listened to her words. So again, for Joseph and Mary, something they never saw coming. So what does this show us? <clears throat> when we think of these things that we're thinking, whoa, never saw that one coming. Well, it shows us that God is working out his plan, and it's all under his control, and so much of it, we don't even know it's going on. And so much of God's promises can seem so undoable, so unreachable. And then we look in the past at the scriptures, and we see the things that he has brought to pass that should have never been able to happen in ways we would have never been able to dream up, ways we never saw coming through births that were humanly impossible, Circumstances we would have said couldn't happen through centuries of delays where people said, it's not going to happen. It was promised so long ago. And yet something happening according to God's will or plan doesn't. Here's another important point. God makes them happen in his way and in his timing. <clears throat> 
And we can't get discouraged if there's hardship or suffering or even loss in the process. And that's good to know, as, as we were seeing in the scriptures, because sometimes when hard times come, we just think, it's over. And serving God doesn't mean always mean everyone will like us, does it? He's still, Christ is still a sign that is spoken against. And people's attitudes toward Christ still reveals the thoughts of their hearts. You can't be against Jesus and be for God. He is the determining factor on whether we find true forgiveness, on whether we have eternal life, on whether we qualify for God's salvation. It's Jesus Christ, the one Simeon took in his arms and told God that now he could die in peace. It's Jesus Christ who the prophetess Anna, the one who fasted and prayed night and day, said was the hope of Israel. So as we move forward into who knows what future we are going to be facing, as we wait to see what comes of these elections and lockdowns and school openings or not, and possible viral surges, and tax rate changes, and health care changes, and vaccines, and possible stimulus checks, and rise ups and shut downs, and local businesses and governors versus churches, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter how uncertain and chaotic things get, we know who offers a secure future, a secure eternal future. It's the one who died and rose again and promised us to return. And he says he's back there preparing our future homes. And he's the one we can trust no matter what the circumstances. And we can have the peace of Simeon because we have seen the promise of God. So... Let's end it here with our last two verses. It says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. We are in good hands, even when we don't see everything that's coming. We can have the peace of Simeon. Let's pray.